Yay. <laughs> we're, we're so pathetic. <laughs> Prophetic? There we go. Got it on. So, hey, uh, I, I know most of you are aware of this, but uh, how many of you know that, like, that, that people love love stories, right? Love, we love love stories. Uh, and, you know, the, this is from, a, 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 admittedly, a male perspective, but the love story always goes like this. You know, boy sees girl, boy chases girl, boy and girl fall in love, boy loses girl, boy chases girl, boy and girl reunite and live happily ever after, right? That's, that's sort of the typical thing. And, and that story has been retold 29 zillion ways. So just for a second, tell me your, famous, your favorite version of that story. And please don't say Romeo and Juliet, okay? <laughs> that's not a happy ending. We didn't... We're trying to start on a happy note here. So it, it could be a movie, it could be a story, it could be your Bride. Princess Bride. Thank you, Matt. The Connor and Matt. And, 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 and if, if, if any guy here says the notebook, we'll, we'll <laughs> just kidding. Thank you, Jay. Jay is comfortable in his manhood. He can bring that out. He's a Nicholas Sparks guy. I think, isn't it true that like, you read Nicholas Sparks as a, as a daily devotional? Is that true? Okay. Other, other love story. Greece. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Love actually. Now, there's a little bittersweet in there. There's a little weird stuff going on in that one. You've never seen it. Love story. Thank you. High fidelity. Oh, wow. We're reaching back. John Cusack. Wow. Back when John Cusack was young. <laughs> what else? Some other ones. Bruce Almighty. Bruce Almighty. There's a love story. <laughs> We'll have to say there's a cheesy love story, but there, nevertheless, Debbie? the way we were, of course, all right, that's right, Redford, okay, anybody else, somebody give me a new one, somebody that's, like something that happened before, since the 60s, a love story, that love story, come on, what, someone said Indiana Jones, no, <laughs> sorry, okay, we're starting to get to, what, Titanic, okay, okay, yeah. Okay, so we love love stories. I want to, I'm going to read a passage, and we're, we're talking about identity right now. We've been going through a series on identity. Who are we? You know, who are we supposed to be? Who's God made us to be? Because we live out of our identity. And we're going to read a story, and when I read this to you, it's not going to immediately look like a love story. But it is a love story. It's the same narrative that we're talking about that actually is so compelling to us. And it's in uh, the Gospel of John. If you have a Bible with you, turn it to the Gospel of John. If you don't, there are Bibles under the chair seat in front of you, and they look like this. And we're reading in page uh, 754. Very simple. John 20. John 20, verse 19. And here's how the story goes. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together... With the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. 
If you forgive anyone's sins, they're forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, this, this passage, like, real simply, the first thing you see is Jesus is talking about what the disciples are going to be about. He says, the Father sent me, and now I'm sending you. That's sort of the crux of this passage. So what it's saying is if you're a follower of Jesus, and I think they got it, but he was saying, you're supposed to do what I'm doing, and you are now, as one of my followers, you're now officially a missionary. Every follower of Jesus is a missionary. That is a, a fundamental identity we have. So reviewing the last few weeks, what we've talked about is, because we're children of God by faith in Jesus, we've been adopted into the family of God. So we're family. Jesus was a servant, and we're baptized. So we're baptized into the Father, which makes us a family. We're baptized into Jesus, which makes us servants, because he's a servant. We talked about serving last week and how that's our calling. It's not just like an option. It's not a hobby. It's supposed to be fundamentally how we self-identify. And when, when every environment in which we're in, we're supposed to be willing to do whatever it takes, whenever it takes, wherever that leads us. That's what servants do. That's what Jesus did. Then today, we're, we're looking at this passage, and this is one of many we could look at, where Jesus says, we are missionaries. And a missionary is someone who's sent. And so he said, and if you go through the book of John, 54 times it talks about being sent. And most of them are Jesus saying, I was sent by the Father to you. And I was sent for this reason. I was sent to do this. I was sent to do that. And so at the, at the end of the book, sort of at the whole climax of the book, after Jesus' resurrection, he appears to them and he says, I'm sending you now. Now, he's no, they've known that all along. But this is, you know, this is sort of one of those critical watershed moments. And this is a moment where they are not in the best frame of mind, right? They're, they're not really all there uh, excited about their lives, much less being missionaries. But I want to tell you something. Being a missionary is about a love story. You may not have connected those two things together, but I want, I want to show you how this little passage tells a love story. And, it, it, and in a sense, it tells the story that we love to hear over and over and over, but it tells the whole story of history. And then it tells us if we're missionaries, that's what we're supposed to be about. We're supposed to be about a love story. So let's read verse 19 to 20 again. It says, On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands inside, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. So this story is a love story. The disciples are in this room because Jesus was arrested and he was crucified publicly. He was tried and crucified, and they, they were rounding all of his followers up, and, and they all escaped. They all betrayed Jesus. At this point, this is, this is three days later. So it's the first day of the week. So Saturday, a uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So this is Sunday morning. And, uh, uh, excuse me, this is Sunday evening. It says in the evening they were all gathered. And, and they are gripped with fear. They think everything that they've been about for, for all these years is just destroyed. It's ruined. And on top of it, they betrayed Jesus. They were his followers, and they all left him when he was arrested. And even Peter denied him. 
And so what happens is they're, here they are in fear. They're, they're at the bottom. I, I think you could say at this point in their life, they're prob- they probably hit bottom. And Jesus shows up in their midst. He pursues them. He pursues them. They've run away. They're hiding. He pursues them. And then it says he shows them his hands inside the wounds, you know, the scars from his crucifixion. And, and they're looking at someone who's alive. And at this point, the lights go on, and they realize the project is, is completed. Jesus, he's defeated our last enemy, death. Like, he said he was going to, the, the, the Messiah was going to inaugurate a new creation, that he was going to be right, he was going to start righting every wrong. And all the things that we're afraid of, Jesus is standing in front of us and showing us he has defeated them all. The, the Roman Empire, which was the ultimate fear that they faced day in and day out, and, and the death that it could deal, Jesus defeated it. He defeated everything that, that they were afraid of. And suddenly, everything like whoosh, came back together, and they went from fear to joy because they met Jesus. And when Jesus said, peace be with you, he was showing them that like, to Jewish people, peace wasn't just sort of like when he said, peace be with you, he wasn't just giving them sort of a, a, a cordial greeting of respect. Like, how you doing? I hope you're doing well. You know, we, 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 we introduced letters and notes. I hope this finds you doing well. He was saying, shalom, peace, which meant salvation and, and wholeness and all of life has come. It's here. It's on you because I'm here. So he says, I'm in the room now. Peace is here. It's with you. That was not what they felt one minute before he walked in that room. But see, they had this history of watching Jesus raise dead people, calm storms, cast out demons, feed multitudes, do the most amazing things that only God could do. And then when he was arrested and crucified and, they, and, and betrayed and, and everything went sideways and they gave up and their hopes were dashed, everything he had promised was fulfilled when he was staying there in front of them. And they knew... We don't have you figured out yet, but, but you are the Messiah. You are, you, you are somehow are God. Because only God could do what you just did. And, and everything just turned upside down for them. And that's the love story. That, that, that little story here is replayed in the big story of history. Because here's how the story of history started and then how it, it continues. Because in the beginning... Right? When you go back to the original story, God made us for a life of love with himself and, and, and gave us this environment of love that had every kind of amazing possibility that we're still enjoying today. I mean, we always joke about the fact that, uh, like Jer- Jerry and, and George and Seinfeld used to say, how come they haven't invented the flying cars yet? Right? And by now, wouldn't you think they've already had the flying cars going? And, but, you know, now they're talking about, actually, we have driverless cars. I'm telling you, my mom and dad could never have conceived of that. And there were people generations ago who couldn't even have conceived of automobiles. 
And we keep unlocking mysteries that God has in this creation he's made for us that there is no end to the possibilities. And God made that all for us, and he made it to work when he's at the center. And when we reject him, we don't get utopia. We get dystopia. We get alien, and this is what our first parents did, and everyone's done since then. When we decide we're going to be, we're going to go our own way, we get alienation, we get the pain, we get despair. It, it ruins everything, doesn't it? And every one of us have tasted that personally. But in the story, after Adam and Eve failed and went their own way, and everything just went sideways, it says that God pursued them, and when they heard him, they hid. They ran and they hid, just like the disciples did here. This is what we do when we go our own way, we run and we hide, we avoid. But God loves us and he pursues us because he made us for love. Now, let me, let me tell you a, a love story. Maybe you never thought of it this way. After Genesis 1 describes, you know, the creation, sort of in broad terms, six days, you know, human beings are made at the end and God rests. And then, it, and then the writer tells the story again, but he focuses in on the creation of humanity. And then chapter 3, the fall of humanity. But chapter 2, he tells a story about how God made Adam out of the dust of the earth, breathed into him, and then took him through all of his creation and had him name everything. And what he was looking for was love. And it says that he went through all of creation and he couldn't find anyone suitable for him. And there was this longing in Adam because God created him for love. Now, he had the love of God, but God is a community, and he made us to be a community. And so then he takes Adam, he takes something from Adam and makes Eve out of Adam and then brings them together, and Adam goes, wow. Literally in the Hebrew, that's what it says. Not exaggerating. He goes, wow, someone like me but different. And he breaks out in a song. He breaks out. In the, in, in the Hebrew, the language changes, and Adam begins to sing or, 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 or write poetry. The first love poem was right there. And there's this love that permeated everything. God was in the middle of it. Love was there. And then when they went their own way, all this alienation began between God and them, between them and each other, between them and nature, and then there was this dark spiritual alienation and, and tension that was there because there was an evil dimension to reality that Satan brought into the, to this perfect thing. And so uh, C.S. Lewis said, out of that hopeless attempt has come nearly all that we can call human history, money, poverty, ambition, war, prostitution, classes, empires, slavery, the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. And then God, the story goes on, God comes in Christ and he pursues us. He pursues us and in Christ, God has the answer that, to rescue us. So we run from him, he pursues us through his son Jesus and as he pursues us, he shows us that he has the answer for this, this painful alienation we feel in our lives and the loneliness, and, and all the stuff that we struggle with, that, that 
that one by one will begin to restore all of creation. But we run. We still run. And God still pursues. I want to ask you just to do something before we go on. Uh, I just want you to think, and you don't, this is not all just participation except in the privacy of your own heart. Think about times in your life where you were in fear like that, or you were running, or you were going your own way, and you began to experience the consequences of that, and God pursued you when you were in that. that you, had a, you had a moment, and maybe this only happened once. Maybe it happened to you many times. I promise you it happened more than you noticed. It, it, I, as I look back at my life now with hindsight, I realize, wow, God was at work in my life so many times, that, and I, I, now I see it. And I had kind of noticed it, but I just wanted to ignore it. I didn't have time for it. I just want you to know, those times were not, those moments where you were, you know, in distress like the disciples were, God didn't show up to make you feel guilty. He didn't show up to shame you. He didn't show up to punish you. He showed up to, to do this, to show you his hands in his side and say, I did this for you. Would you give me all that? Put it on me, and I'll put my life on you. And I'll, be, I'll rescue you from this foolish choice you've made to go your own way. And I'll, I'll live in you, and I'll walk with you, and I'll help you begin to, to, to experience what life was about. And it'll be a journey, but it, it can start if you just look, look what I did. See, this is a crucial thing that's in this story. What The pivot of the love story is when they look at Jesus and see the scars of what he went through for them. And he's saying to them, like he says to us, he said to you, will you welcome me? Will you look to me and stop running, stop going your own way, and trust me? And at this moment, all you may be able to muster is the energy to say, help. I don't think I can follow you. I don't think I have the strength in me to follow you, but I, I will put my trust in you if you will help me to follow you. And he says, deal. He's not looking for your strength. He's looking for you to give him your life and your weakness, and he will exchange it for his life and his strength. That's the love story that happens here. And you see it in that moment. They pivot. They pivot. And that's, that's the love story. That, that is where missionaries are born. You understand? Everyone who's a believer in Jesus is a missionary because we've all experienced that. And then what Jesus says next to him is, let's see, in verse 21, again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And so how we do this missionary thing is real simple. There's, just, there's three things. It's, it's easy to, to describe. He says, first, we pursue the people that God loves like God pursued us. It's pretty simple. We learn to recognize who God is pursuing, and we join him in that pursuit. And what we do when we pursue them is we're, we're imitating Jesus because Jesus said, I came to seek and rescue lost people. He, he was talking in the context of this man named Zacchaeus, and Jesus was walking through Jericho one day, and he looked up in this tree and saw this chief tax collector who was, you know, kind of a real notorious guy, and he said, Zacchaeus, come on down. I need to stay at your house. I need to eat dinner with you tonight. And that was an invitation to relationship. Zacchaeus scoots down the tree like a little monkey, runs up to Jesus, 
and, and, uh, and, and is so excited, and all the people start going, oh, you know, what is he doing hanging around? This, doesn't he know who this guy is? This guy is a rip-off artist. He's, you know, he's an enemy of our people. He certainly can't be. How could God want to have anything to do with him? But Zacchaeus was in that tree in his distress, and Jesus saw it. And then Jesus was pursuing him. And, this, and, and then in the context of that and answering the people, he said, I'm doing this, all of you that are troubled by this, because I came to pursue and rescue people who are in distress, who are lost. Now, trouble is, when we're lost, we don't think we're lost. In fact, we're pretty ticked off when you tell us we're lost, right? But we will sit and and cry in our beers about how lost we are until Christians come along and tell us we're lost or we're distressed. And that's just part of the, that's part of the problem. That's part of the problem that we encounter. And so then besides pursuing them, we're supposed to show them the good news. We're supposed to show them what the good news looks like. And Jesus, you know, he was the good news. And all through the Bible, there's this theme that God's people are supposed to, are, are called to, because this is the way God is. They're called to do what God told the Jewish exiles to do when they were, uh, when they were exiled from Israel and scattered into Babylon, where they were, uh, they'd been deported, forcibly deported. Their their homeland was destroyed, and many of them were made to be slaves. But the ones that weren't were just like on the lowest end of the social ladder. And God told them, and Jeremiah, he said, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Live for the common good. We're supposed to show people who are our neighbors and who we work with that we want to live for what's best for everybody. What will benefit everybody? We're willing to become servants toward that end. And that we do it because that's what Jesus did for us. And other passages say, uh, like in Acts 10.38, Peter is talking to Cornelius, and he says, he describes how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he entered, or excuse me, he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. So we don't just serve people. We actually have power and authority to heal people, to see people's lives restored. Because peace, peace, as Jesus said, shalom, is healing in every dimension of life. And it, he, he, his peace is with us to give to other people. We're gonna, in a few weeks, we're going to talk more specifically about that. And then as missionaries, so we, we pursue people, we show the good news, and then we share it. Now, here's the, this is the, sort of the place that a lot of us struggle, is we think, can't I just be like what St. Francis said, how St. Francis said to show the good news, and if you have to, tell them about it. And we tend to think that it's just, good, it's just enough for people to see the good news through our good deeds, right? Living for the common good. But it's the message of the gospel, Jesus said, and the, the, the leaders of the church that wrote the New Testament said, it's this message of who Jesus is that has power to save people. And it seems like a foolish message, like this Jewish guy that lived 2,000 years ago, hung on a cross, and his death has some potential to turn my life around and reconcile me to God and, and heal the whole world? I don't know if I get that. But when you tell people that story, that love story, that God's pursuing his broken creation and came into it 
and did all that Jesus did, when people hear that, they're, when they're ready, they believe, and that transformation happens in their lives. And so when we don't want to share that, to be honest with you, a lot of times it's because we don't want the grief that comes when we share it. We don't want the pushback. We don't want people to think that we're, you know, those kind of people, you know, that believe that kind of stuff. And we're very sensitive to that. And, and I get that. But that, that's not showing people love when we're holding back the, the, the good news that, that can address why they're crying in their beer, so to speak. You know, that's kind of a cliche. But people, I've watched people do that. I, I didn't ever like beer. I cried in a pot-filled room, <laughs> pot-smoke-filled room. <laughs> that's where I did my crying. I didn't like the taste of beer. But people do that. We just sit there and, you know, depressed and hurting. And the good news will, will speak into that. So there was a young man years ago. I'll tell you how this looks in real life. There was a young man named Patrick. And we, we know him as St. Patrick. But when, when he was 16 years old, he lived in Britain, in England. And these, these Celtic pirates came down through where he lived in England. England. He lived close to the shore, and his family was aristocratic. They were because the Romans had conquered England. His family had become Roman, and they were sort of the, the upper tier of society. And he was a nominal Christian, but he's kind of a wild kid. If you if you, know, if you ever go and read the historical uh, biography of of Patrick, he was a wild kid. He got kidnapped by these pirates and sold into slavery in Ireland, and they made him a shepherd. And so he would take this, this, the, 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 this landowner that bought him, he would take his sheep out into the hills. And it's a tough job. Shepherding is a tough job. And he's out in the middle of nowhere. He's just a kid. He's just a teenager. And three things happened to him while he was out there. He began to encounter God in creation. God began to reveal himself to him. And he began to pray. And he had this, this you know, Nominal faith, and this nominal faith, God pursued him when he was in this distress, in this terrible place, uh, with you know not a lot of concern shown to him. God met him, and he, he really experienced an encounter with Jesus, and his life changed, and he began to pray. 